Hi, I'm Evan Duncan, the senior pastor of the Baptist Church of Westchester in Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm so glad you found our podcast channel. On it, we'll share weekly messages as well as other resources we hope helps you as you seek to grow and know Jesus. If you want to learn more about our church or see how you can connect with us, visit bcwc.org. Hey everybody, welcome. Thanks for coming today, uh, digging in. Uh, this is my last uh, time hosting digging in, but it will continue into the new year. Um, Pastor Evan um, is already working to line up some guests, so we're going to keep this moving along too, as it's been a lot of fun. Um, what we try to do with digging in is talk to uh, localish experts, uh, Very interesting ish. neighbors, um, you know, other people who are living out their faith in all kinds of ways and hope to learn from one another. So to uh, celebrate today, I uh, brought my sister, uh, Reverend Tammy Blos, and so I'll read her formal introduction and, and um, to you all, her, her bio. Uh, Reverend Blos has been the pastor at Bart's Centenary United Methodist Church in Littlestown, Pennsylvania since July of 2017. She is a native of York County and a graduate of Red Lion Area Senior High School. Uh, she attained her BSE from Millersville University and her Master of Divinity from Princeton Theological Seminary. Um, I, you know, was there around the same time as you, believe it or not. Um, she and her husband, Chad, have four sons, one daughter, two daughters-in-law, and four grandchildren. Before attending seminary and becoming a pastor, Timmy uh, worked for the church and had a, a, a wonderful career as a Christian educator. Um, she continues to be passionate about the spiritual development of those under her care. And so what I wanted to do this evening is uh, um, share with you, um, if there's anybody I've ever met in my life whose love for the Bible, whose love for scripture is such a deep part of who they are, um, it is uh, Reverend Tammy Blos. So I'm really excited to talk this evening. We have some questions that I'll ask, but then we'll open it up um, and other folks can, can ask questions as well. And by the end, we'll know everything about the Bible that there's ever been. And I we'll doubt be that. <laughs> Very seriously. Uh -huh. But I'm, I'm wondering to start us off, uh, um, Jenny, if you could tell us anything else about um, like sort of your spiritual biography um, of how God has sort of worked over the course of your life. If you could fill in the gaps a little bit for us, tell us a little bit more about who you are. So um, I was not necessarily brought up in the church. Um, we didn't go to church every Sunday when as I was growing up but um a grandmother brought me to church whenever she could um whenever she could pick me up take me to church um and my first bible ever actually came from a baptist church the temple or uh, temple baptist in york um i think i was like eight or nine years old and you know received that bible that you do when you're around third grade um but i really um became serious about my faith in my 20s, um, my early 20s, um, we had a great tragedy within our family and I was struggling with that. And I was looking for answers to, you know, what, what, why would God let these things happen? You know, how am I to handle it? And, um, and the Bible was the best place I looked for answers. Um, I looked other places that were not as great. <laughs> um, but that's really where my love affair with God began was um, in searching for those, for comfort, for answers, for um, something that would take my level of anxiety down um, and give me purpose when I was feeling like I was floating. 
athletes. And so one of the things that drew me in in those early years was um, Christian radio. I, I was doing a lot of driving. And um, that at that time in Christian radio, there wasn't all the great music that there is now on Christian radio. It was a lot of talk radio. It was a lot of um, almost Bible studies or maybe a sermon that kind of got put into parts and was put on the radio. Um, and, and this kind of started feeding me. And gosh, most of the people in this room are way too young to know this. But um, <laughs> <laughs> Glenn, you'll know it. No, but back when back when the internet used to make dinging sounds before it began, um, and we used our telephone to dial up, um, and AOL was all the rage. Um, we they, turned our own buttons. <laughs> back then, um, there were Bible online chat Bible studies. And I kind of delved into those and God just grabbed me at such random different places. Um, but in all of it, I was, I was searching for something and I found a lot of the answers, a lot of the comfort and um, sense of um, identity was being built in those pages. The more I learned about it um, and started going, going to church with my, with my husband's I. Zach and I both have very eclectic church um, pasts. Um, I started with the Presbyterians because that's where my husband's grandparents went and we lived near them. <laughs> <laughs> and um, served there or, you know, it doesn't take long when you're a young person at church for, to become a volunteer at church, even when you don't know anything. Anybody ever feel that? No, really. So um, got pulled into, you know, Sunday school and things like that. And, um, and, and just loved it. Um, just loved it. So, I mean, and that's really where my story began. Um, and before I knew it, I was working for a church. I was on staff at a church. I was a, a um, education major in college, thought I was going to be a history teacher. Little did I know that it was going to be church history <laughs> that I was going to teach. Um, <clears throat> but I, yeah, got on staff first part-time and then full-time. And then God said, why don't you go to seminary? <laughs> and I, I was 40 when I went to seminary. And um, God just continues to call me um, <laughs> places. I'll go on and on. You've yeah, got to yeah, stop yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wondering if you could, um, you could linger for a moment in your years of experience with Christian education. And mm -hmm. you know, one of your passions being you know, teaching others the Bible and teaching about the Bible. And, um, you know, I'm wondering if, uh, you know, you notice any, themes with people and their like relationship to the Bible. For example, you know, sometimes people uh, don't know where to begin or they start off and they're like, I'm going to read this. This is my new year's resolution. Oh, yeah. And they do a little bit and they're like, why is this book called numbers? Like, this, is, this is a lot. Like what kind of things did you encounter for people who were trying to, you know, begin their study of the Bible and how did you respond? Um, well, I'll start first where, where I began. Um, serious study of the Bible in that church with my husband's um, grandparents. There was a time of sharing. Um, 
is a smaller church where, you know, you, you stand up and share your joys and concerns. And there was one lady, <laughs> this one lady who just always had such deep concerns for people. And, um, and I just, I don't know, like when I, why I picked her, but I think that's what it was. Like she was visible in the church and she was always praying for someone and she seemed to really know her scripture. And I called her up one day because I was just hungry to know. And I didn't know how to know. And I said, would you come once a week and study the Bible with me? And she thought it was crazy. <laughs> She's like, why'd you call me? <laughs> but she did. She did. I asked and she did. And she mentored me and we just, um, just walked through the Bible together. So that's how I started was just being brave enough to ask someone who looked like they knew more than me. She didn't feel particularly qualified. Um, and she probably, you know, with any kind of, you know, degrees or anything like that, but she was a Christian and she'd been one for a while and she really loved the Lord and she loved helping people. Mm. And for a while, I was one of those people (laughs) that she came alongside and helped. And I think it can be that simple, you know, finding a mentor, someone who, who you think knows a little bit more than you. Um, but the other place, um, because I think if you start out alone, you pretty soon crash and burn. <laughs> yeah. If you start from Genesis, by the time you get to Leviticus, you're done. <laughs> um, and the stories in, in Genesis are so rich and full and you can work your way through them. And, and Exodus is pretty cool. You know, but yeah, Leviticus and numbers, they're overwhelming and technical and, um, need so much historical context in order to make any sense. And so, so I think often when people recommend like, where do I start? Um, they recommend first starting in the new Testament, start with the gospels, start with Jesus. And everyone will tell you their favorite gospel that you should start with. Um, mine's Mark. Lots of people say John. Um, but I don't think it really matters which gospel you start with, but I do it's, think it's Luke. <laughs> <laughs> well, Luke has the only one to part two. So yeah, that's nice. It's good to have a sequel. We're in the age of streaming <laughs> and binging that content. So we're right to ask. Yeah. But um, but yeah, that's the recommendation usually is to start there and then maybe hit the letters. Um, because there's a lot of good explanation in the letters, because these are people who were new to their faith. And they were messing up. And these letters are the answers to the questions they had. Now, my biggest desire is to, when I get to heaven, see the other letter. <laughs> what was written to? Why did he answer this way? What, what were the questions that got these responses? I'm longing to know those things. Um, but and I don't know if I will get to or not, but I want to. <laughs> Um, what, what are some um, like misconceptions now having gone through and we'll, we'll kind of go back and forth yeah. different parts of your story um, but what are some misconceptions that people have about the Bible or that you had early on um, well the first is that you could read it in its current form <clears throat> and understand it with your current mindset and really know everything there is to know um, we forget that this is an ancient book that's been translated out of an ancient language into a modern language. And that, that um, 
it doesn't always translate directly. Um, that we do have to do a little digging a little deeper sometimes to get um, what that original um, reader or hearer more often would have heard when they read, had these texts read. Um, so that's the first thing I think that gets in people's way. They're um, wanting to be a little too literal um, in English. <laughs> Um, and I think the second thing that gets in our way is that we want we want um, everything to be clear and concise and easy, easy to. And um, the Bible is a big old mess. <laughs> I mean, it was written by many writers in many time periods with that we're dealing with all sorts of different issues, and there's there's um, there's a lot happening in those pages under the text um, that help us understand what it is the writer is conveying. And I think I didn't know that when I began. I just I I want I was looking for something to guide me. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> fortunately, I think the Bible can does do that for us. It it hits us in all these layers, right? <clears throat> and so we learn more as we learn more it begins to mean more mm -hmm. and um there's there's a definitely a dynamic of of um a, an aliveness to the text um, one of the things zach said he was so nice he sent me the questions ahead of time <laughs> <laughs> um but one of the things i wrote down under this question um was that you the the Bible, um, when you come, whatever you, wherever you are, when you come to it, really matters, right? So if you read this particular text on this particular day, you'll hear something, you know, the Holy Spirit in you connects with that, whatever's on that word, and you hear something. And six months from now, you've had different experiences, and you've heard different things, and you've become different um and you read that same passage and it sounds different and you're like wait a minute is this the same one i just read i mean that's what i mean when i say it's alive because you what you bring to the table matters in what you receive from the text and, uh, <clears throat> there was a a speaker a motivational speaker his name was Charlie Tremendous Jones, a great name for a motivational speaker. Um, I think it was probably in the 80s, when he, maybe 90s when he was speaking. Um, but he has this really famous quote, or I, I saw it on Google, so it must still be famous, right? Um, but he said, you will be the same person you are five years from now, except for the people you meet and the books you read. And, and the Bible is one of those books that will change you. Um, you will be different from interacting with the pages of that text. And in five years, if you've been reading it for five years, you're gonna be a whole different person. Um, and the, the other piece of that is it was, uh, it's a text that's meant to be read in community. And the, the, the deepest learning I've got received from the Bible has been in a room like this. 
around around a table with other people because you'll ask a question that will then spark another question in me that I never would have even thought of if I wasn't present with other people. And when we read, when we read this ancient text with a community of people who are believe who believe it is the word of God, there's a richness that happens over it that is phenomenal and can't be received in any other way. You said earlier when you uh, you came to faith as well as sort of really encountered scripture in this meaningful way, that you did so looking for answers. And I'm and you said you found them. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you might share maybe some of those answers. Like, what did you find that mattered to you so much then that that scripture attested to and showed to you? I think I think what I really found was that um, I was that what I was struggling with the most in that in those days was survivor's guilt, and I found that that God had a plan. Why do you always ask the questions? You didn't ask me this question. You didn't ask you that one. No, no, but it's a good question. No, so like, I think what really happened there is I began to understand God's providence and um, and my my identity within Christ, um, which which I didn't have a sense of before that and um and that um that I what whatever I was gonna do from that point on mattered that it mattered to God it mattered in the scheme of things because I was really struggling with does anything matter you know when you have a great loss and you're just kind of swimming in grief you all kinds of weird questions go through your mind right you know, what matters, you know, does it matter if, if I'm um, an obedient child, if I'm a good girl, a good boy, um, if I'm meeting the rules, if, if, if tomorrow I can just be gone. Um, and I found a reason for all that to matter, a, a reason for, and it wasn't because it was a rule. It was because of who I was in God. And, and that made more sense to me. Mm -hmm. That was something I could grab a hold of. Thank you. Um, um, yeah, I think it's, it's so interesting. It can be really steadying to find something that is ancient. You know what I mean? That people have wrestled with and struggled with and longed to understand and um, have made me, found meaning and have um, encountered the living God uh, attested to in scripture and through scripture. So I think I think probably a lot of people can connect to that in different ways. Um, are there uh, stories, uh, passages, books within this great library that you continually resonate with that like you can't seem to shake or that come up again and again, images or stories or something? Yeah. Um, in Deuteronomy, um, <laughs> the great Shema, you know, love the Lord your God, you know, talk about him when you get up and when you sit down and when you're having dinner, you know, like that has been formative for me. Um, and in my former career as a Christian educator and in my current career as a pastor, you know, when you're, when you're working with the people of God, often we want to take the Lord and put him in a nice little box 
that fits on the Sunday shelf. <laughs> and then we want to live the rest of our life um, without God. Um, and that, that passage, I come back to time and time again, that is, it's everything. It's all of life. The little things are just as important as the big Sunday service. Um, so that's one. Um, the other one is in Matthew, Matthew 7, 7 and 8, where um, Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. I'm so curious. I'm a curious person. <laughs> and I always, I'm always, you know, seeking answers and, and willing to ask the questions. And, and I love that God says it's okay. <laughs> you know, keep knocking on the door, keep looking. Um, because that's how you'll find the answers. When you, when you ask, you know, you'll, you'll find the answers. And when you seek, you'll find when, when you knock, someone will open the door. And I think that's been formative for me as well. And um, as far as a story, a narrative that really um, has been meaningful to me, it was it's Samuel, little boy Samuel. Do you remember this one? Um, this one makes it into the Sunday school um, curriculum um, where after Hannah Samuel's mom prays and prays and prays to have a child and she can and, and God finally blesses her with a child. Um, her promise in return is to give him into service to, the, to God. And so he's only like three years old, like a baby. And she has to take him to the priest, Eli, so he can form him um, and, and ed educate him and, and he'll serve the Lord as well. And, um, he must have been, and she gets to see him like once a year where she comes and brings him new clothes and gets to spend a day with him. And um, so that story, the, the backstory is just moving, right? Um, but the story of Samuel um, laying down in bed, God call out to him and not knowing who it is and running to, you know, his, his mentor, Eli, and saying, did you call me? Um, and, and, you know, that happens like three times before Eli finally wakes up enough to go, I think it's God <laughs> next time, you know, just, just tell him here I am your servant and listen to what he says. Um, and I feel like that story for me, um, is a lot of how my life is like God's calling to me all the time, but I don't always recognize it. <laughs> um, and there are times when the person says, Hey, just listen, tell God you're listening. And, and I have, heard, you know, and you do hear mm -hmm. and, you know, but we're all kind of Samuels walking through life, um, just trying to serve God. Um, but sometimes we miss it. Mm -hmm. So that's, that story is pretty meaningful for me too. Yeah. And we need each other yeah. to be able to point, point to God too. That's the, like the sort of testimony aspect of it, right? So yeah, pointing. someone needs to encourage you along. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's funny, you, you mentioned receiving a Bible in like third grade and you know, we've done that here. And uh, I remember at one point of my own sort of journey in faith thinking, 
I can't believe we give this Bible to children. It has so many things in it that deeply trouble me. <laughs> I can only assume they will never read it. <laughs> because we are sending this home and their parents are going to have a lot of questions <laughs> about this. And so I'm wondering, you know, for you, what do you do with like the troubling parts of scripture where it seems that God's commanding God's people to do violence or, you know, there's all kinds of things. It's funny, you know, fu sort of funny things on the internet when some, you know, they have these um, stitched pillows that have Bible verses. And sometimes like people ironically put like, and then God said, kill every man, woman, and child. And you're like, oh yeah, we'll just put that on grandma's couch. <laughs> so sometimes we like memorize these scriptures. They help us. But, but then sometimes we look at them and go, what What's is happening? this? So can you walk us through that? Yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I still struggle sometimes with the conquest narratives. I think that's what you're pointing toward in the Old Testament when God's saying, you know, kill every man, woman, and child, but no one alive. Yeah, that doesn't sweep well. Um, but I do think when I hit um, passages like that, that do trouble me. Um, another one that really troubles me is the Syrophoenician woman when Jesus says, that she's a dog. I mean, that just, um, why would Jesus say such a thing? And that, I mean, yeah, sometimes you just hit these ones and you, they just really throw you. Right. And you're like, that doesn't sound like anything else you've said. It doesn't sound like the God in that I know or understand. Um, so, so what, the, what I do with those, I try to fully understand them, try to hear them in the context they're read. I try to remember for example, in the Old Testament passages, um, that that these are also the history of a people. And history is always written from one perspective. And so these are the experiences this particular group of people, the people of Israel, had with God. And they're they're um, they're also interpreting what's happening and what they're hearing um, as as they're sharing their history. And um, so when, when we share our American history, um, I think it's, it's, it's a lot cleaner and more beautiful on the page than it was in reality. We don't, we don't put it all in the textbook, right? Um, and so I try to remember that piece of it, that there is also a human piece at work here. Um, but when, it, when the words, and when the words are coming from God, you know, is this what they heard or is this their explanation afterwards? You know, I leave some room from some ambiguity there. Um, I would say that's blasphemous. Um, but I, I think, you know, there's this very holy book, which I've dedicated my whole life to teaching. Um, it's still a book and it's still written by men who were inspired by God. Or, um, so, you know, take that into account as we read it. Um, but ultimately, the history of it is, as I'm reading it for, for what, what it can teach me today, um, is like, well, where is God acting? What is God doing? And so in those really messy narratives with really horrible sayings that you wouldn't want on a pillow, <laughs> um, 
<laughs> Please don't give me one for Christmas. Um, but no, I, I want to say, so who are they seeing God as? You know, what are they revealing in this context about God? They're saying God is their provider, that he's powerful, that he enabled them to conquer enemies that they couldn't conquer on their own. Um, so they're, they're pointing toward the amazing power of God. Like that's something I can learn from that text, even though it troubles me, mm -hmm. even though I'm not sure what to do with those messy parts. Um, you know, when, when um, Jesus talks to this woman, he, he heals, I think it's her, her child. She's coming for healing for, he heals her child. Um, and in the end, that tells me that, that Jesus is a healer, that he does care about people. I don't know why he said that phrase the way he said it. And I don't know if it's, you know, my modern ear hearing it in such a different way than the person would have heard it because she does not seem deterred at all. She goes right back at him, but Hey, even the dogs get the crumbs under the table, heal my daughter. And she walks away with a healed daughter. And I bet she was pretty happy with that interaction because that's what she was after. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, the Bible is messy. And, and to me, the messiness of the Bible is part of why I believe it to be so authentic. You know, if, it, if we were gonna make something up, we wouldn't have God saying these things, you know? We would, we would have him be the way we wanted him to be. Um, so there you go. Yeah. That's, that's a tough question. A tough question. Yeah. <laughs> I'll pause on my questions for a moment. I'll open it up. Um, I have more, but um, you know, everyone on the Zoom call and in the room has their own sort of experience with the Bible and um, wisdom and questions. And so, you know, I just want to take a moment to open it up if anybody else wants to respond to anything, offer anything or ask anything. Uh, before I continue on. I guess I was, you were talking about coming back to the same scripture and reading it yeah. five months, six months later and hearing something different. Do you have any examples of, of that? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, let me think. Let me tell you another one. I guess this is the same one. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so slightly off of your exact question, but um, the first time I ever read the story of Elijah in the cave. So Elijah had just done this amazing thing, right? He had um, the, this conquering moment for God up on a mountaintop where he um, called fire from heaven and showed the world that God was real and that these prophets of Baal were not. And it had this amazing thing. And then he finds out that, that um, he's being sought by the queen, right? That she's after him. And he runs away. <laughs> he's, he's like, instead of being like, oh, so what? I do see what I just yeah. did. You know, he runs away and he, he goes to this cave. Well, actually, you know, he does a lot of things, but he, he ends up in this cave. <laughs> And God comes before him and, or he's seeking God in, in this time. And 
a lot of things happen and God's not in them, right? So God, lots of loud things happen. Earthquake, you know, all these things that are obvious and loud and clear and God's not in them. And then, but then God comes in a still quiet voice, right? The first time I read that, I was in that seeking mode where I wanted answers from God. And it made me so mad that I threw my Bible down and just like stomped my feet like a little kid. And I was just so upset when I read that, that this, like, why can't you just be clear? Why can't you come in the earthquake? Why can't you just make it obvious? You know, like I was, that first time I read that, that's how I felt about it. Um, When I come to that passage today, I find such great comfort in the fact that God speaks when I'm quiet, when I'm seeking him. And, you know, when I'm alone, when I'm in that place of contemplation, um, but that's not what I wanted <laughs> that, that, at right. that time. I wanted a neon sign that says, go this way, take this job, move here, do this. And God doesn't really work that way. Um, except in Bruce Almighty. Except in Bruce Almighty. <laughs> you know, he said he's looking for a sign, and they're like, signs all there's signs all <laughs> And then he does the mass email and just says yes, yes to yes, everyone. Yes, yes. And everybody wins. Um, I thought that was a good, that's a good example of yeah. responsive to my question. Yeah. It wasn't previewed. <laughs> I see Barb and Boyd uh, unmuted. Do you have a question? Um, I guess I can sort of have a, a comment. Um, at, at 71, I'm just starting to get, have a new take on the, uh, the Old Testament because it was easier just not to deal with those. <laughs> Those, those verses, it was just easier not to deal with them. And back uh, uh, when Putin and the Russians invaded the Ukraine, I came across an article that um, says something like, it's it's okay to pray for Putin's demise. And I actually sent it to Pastor Zach. And I think, um, Reverend Tammy, that he sent it to you um, because it was, uh, it was, um, not something I'd ever read or heard before. And it had to do with imprecatory prayers, imprecatory psalms. And when I read through some of the, the psalms um, with those prayers, um, the idea I think is more that it's not revenge, but it's justice, it's accountability. So that helped me kind of put a different light into some of the, even the conquest narratives. Um, so I didn't know if you wanted to comment on anything like that, or if it made any more sense to you after maybe looking at that. Again, it was two years ago, so you might not even remember that. Uh, well, that was, I think the um, one thing you even we read it. Learn, the one thing we can definitely learn from the Psalms is that it's okay to bring your negative self to God. That God is okay with all your messy, ugly emotions. Um, the Psalms are full of them. And, um, Almost, almost every psalm that ha- begins with some of those messy, ugly emotions ends with people remembering who God is and what they have to be grateful for, and um, why why He's going to handle it in the end. Um, and I think the beauty of that is is that, um, that that God can not only handle that stuff, but He put it in His book. Right. This is an example 
of um, songs from worship. <laughs> so, you know, definitely the ugly, God can handle our ugly stuff. Um, and he understands who we are and how we work. Um, that doesn't mean he wants to leave us that way. Um, I still try, and that, that does not help me with the conquest narrative, kill every woman, child, and yeah, I, I still have trouble getting past that one. But God does have a plan, and maybe that was necessary for God's plan, and God knows way more than I know, and I am very aware of that all the time. <laughs> Some congregations, they sing through the Psalms, and I always wonder, do they sing the part that's like, smite my enemies <laughs> like, smite them all <laughs> so, but i do it does like the psalms are so creative yeah and that like i do almost picture an artist like working through something through writing or music or you know all of that that sort of span of human emotion and yet sometimes in the when we read them we read them so like nice and clean you know we want it to be like you said in a box or something too um, anyone else uh, have a few others, if not? So. I think this is something you have touched on, you know, a few minutes ago when you were talking about blaspheming, right? Oh. So, you know, one of the things um, that I think many struggle with, uh, and I sometimes struggle with as well, is when you start doing subjective interpretation of different verses, you know, where do you lose the authenticity of the Bible? Yeah, yeah. You, we have to always be aware of who we are and what we're bringing to that text, right? Mm -hmm. um, we're bringing our own experiences, our education, our background. Um, you know, I think the I think think the thing that you have to rem to remember to look at that, to look at the the historical mm -hmm. context, um, and to not read it just in its you know, just floating by itself, um, what they call proof texting, right? Like you have a point and then you go and find Bible verses that match up with your point. That's never a good thing to do. And you can do it um, easily. To remember the, the overarching narrative of the Bible is something that brings, that brings me back every time that um, from the very beginning, God created us um, to be in good relationship with him. And it, and it was humanity that walked away. And ever since God was working toward reconciliation and the overarching story of the entire biblical text is reconciliation with God. To be whole, to have shalom, to be whole and um, all that God meant us to be needs a relationship with God. And that God is constantly trying to pull us into that, that that's why he sent his son. That's why he wants us to be justified and wants us to overcome our sin, you know, and you see that redemptive story in all throughout in the Old Testament and the New Testament. God is constantly reaching out. Um, and so that narrative, that overarching narrative um, is one that can bring you back home when you're getting a little too subjective. Um, how does this fit into the bigger, the bigger picture of the whole Bible? Um, but it, it gets difficult and we do get caught up in our, in our 
current ideas and ideals. And sometimes that can trip us up. Mm -hmm. um, did I answer your question fully or I'm, I'm maybe not? Yeah. Did you give me more? I might. <laughs> um, yeah, are we. A question to take a dissertation. Yeah, I mean, really could. <laughs> there's, there's, and for any text, there's, you know, if you interpret it one way and I interpret it another way, how do we know who's right? How do we know? Um, sometimes um, the Hebrew way is to not choose. Um, in the in the ancient Hebrew, yeah, in the ancient <laughs> Hebrew text, what they would do is just take this rabbi's interpretation of the text and put this other rabbi's interpretation right next to it. You know, in that that um, commentary that was like around the pages. Uh, is it the Talmud mm -hmm. um, that's around it um, and you know and they don't make any sense together they might even like totally negate one another and they just put them there next to each other and move on mm -hmm. um, that's really different than what we want to do we want to reconcile the answer and know which one is right and until we're in the physical presence of Jesus I don't know that we'll get to do that with some of those things but I do think that that is a good practice for me to be able to sit with you when you have a very different interpretation of the Bible and say that I respect and honor your interpretation and to try and understand it more deeply, even when I vehemently disagree <laughs> and see it very, very differently. I think that's a skill that we have lost in modernity. <laughs> Yeah, I think about the, um, like if you go to commentaries and that's a, a beautiful tool, right? To have these things that other people have written about it over years, that's sort of our equivalent to that. But sometimes things are the, the um, just the majority answer because you know someone said so and they were very influential and everyone said, yeah, that sounds good, that sounds good until, and someone's like, well, what if it was this word? Or what if we found like this information about ancient Israel at the time or something? And it then makes us question it. And, now, I think back to a lot of um, liberation theologians will push back and say uh, regarding singular interpretation or the Bible speaking in a one voice all the time that, well, is it that we're interpreting this so that the powerful stay powerful? Like that's one of the questions that they ask. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I often get sort of like, it is hard to sit with that. It's like a beautiful like thing, but then what if it has real implications to like how and we live our lives? And it usually does. It usually has real life implications yeah that's very messy yeah yeah studying the bible isn't always as clean as we want it to be <laughs> i think too a lot of times the um you've been very active in children's ministry for many many years and um sometimes like we treat like sunday school like traditional sunday school as like and now you know everything you need to know <laughs> and that's it and like anyone who's done it knows like this is like planting the seed that we don't always see. And like, there's so much more, like you come back to this again, like in cycles. Yeah. Um, what would you say to someone that said, you know, I don't, I don't need to study the Bible. I want to like live it. Like I, I'm done studying it. Like, why do we have, is there, is there room for that? Is there some pushback you'd have against that? I, I would say it's not either or it's both and. 
um, you, you have, if you're not living it, then you're just a student. Um, like, so you do need to live it. Like they're, they've got a great point, you know, um, if you're not applying what you're learning to how you're living your life, then it, then it is, you know, just a study of an ancient text, which there are a lot of awesome ancient texts out there in the world for us to study. Um, so, so applying it is one of the things that makes it, um, part, makes it part of your faith versus just some wisdom that's been passed down through the ages. Um, so I, yeah, I think, um, and like I said, it's something we do ourselves, but it's also something we should be doing in community. And I think the, the interpretative um, conflicts are why we should be doing it in community. Because if I'm reading the text myself and interpreting it myself, I will never be challenged. And what if I am wrong? And what if what, what this other person is saying is right? And if I'm not open to hearing another interpretation, I could be taking the wrong message from this text that maybe I heard from someone else that they heard from someone else, you know, and, and it might make a big impact. Um, so I, I do think that um, we make a mistake when we only listen to people who say the same things we say. Mm -hmm. I jumped in with a question, I'm sorry. Are there other questions? <laughs> I was about to, I mean, we do have to leave, so, but I was just going to make a comment on um, with the whole interpretive, interpretive thing. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I struggle a lot with all of those concepts. Some people know more than others, but uh, he's not. Um, <laughs> the problem with interpreting, in my opinion, is when we interpret in order to make a set of rules for somebody to live by. Mm. That's where interpretation conflicts come in. And I interpret that this group should live this way, or these are the rules for living. Some of the Bible is not meant for instruction for a group of people. It is meant for your relationship with God rather than for you to make to decipher some rule and then say, okay, here. And now everybody I must. have interpreted it that right. you all must right. live yeah. this way from because this verse says so. Mm -hmm. that, that's, that's where the problem lies. Yeah. It's very insightful. Yeah. I think it's true. I mean, we always mess up when we try to tell other people what to do and, you know, take the log out of your own eye, right? Before you try and take, you know, like we, we we're very good at telling other people how they should live their life. And when we should be attending to how we're living our life and to what the scripture is saying for to us. Um, and I do think this is a problem also of the moment we're living, the moment of history we are living, that people um, can no longer tolerate any kind of dissension from their own point of view. Um, and I think I think that's a problem, <laughs> a deep problem. I like what you're saying too about the um, like, what is this for? Like, yeah. what did you do these 
books is a different genre, you know, yeah. has different intentions behind it. And we want to, and I love that it's so handy to have them like all together. Um, I met someone um, in seminary one time who like insisted on like buying these all as separate books, which I think was also like a, like potential marketing ploy as well. I totally like, have it, a set. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's nice to, I, I, when I do children's messages or something, I often say like, this is a library and you're taking one of these books off the shelf. I think if we did that physically, we might be able to recognize that more all the same font, all the same way. You know, just one of the yeah. products of our current time, I guess, too, like you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, boy. Sorry. Boy. In the context that we've been discussing, in terms of holding two things, cognitive dissonance kinds of things, um, I, I was listening to a talk today by a neuroscientist, and he was talking about the limbic lobe, which is more of the emotive lobes areas of the brain, as opposed to the frontal lobe, which are those that contain and uh, make us uh, not overreactive. I guess my question to you in thinking about that, how have you come to learn to be able to sit in cognitive dissonance? What do you do? What techniques have you employed or practiced to be able to not be reactive? As you were talking about a minute ago, everybody kind of wants everything now and and react and be reactive, how have you taught yourself or been mentored into maintaining a sense of calm and really being able to deeply listen to someone to understand their side of the or their point of view or their interpretation? So can you give us some hints? I mean, I think the, the word that comes to my mind right away is humility um, to to remit to when I think about all of the things that I don't know, <laughs> you know, and how big that mountain is compared to the little pile of things I do know. Um, like how could I, so I think that's one thing. So like just to understand, to become humble, to understand that um, we aren't as near all knowing as we, want to pretend we sometimes are um so and that's a practice of humility um and it's not a popular practice because um when people hear the word humility they think of where other words that are are not the same thing like shame or um that they have to be self-degrading self-degradating or, you know, to be humble is just to be aware, to be aware of the fact that you don't know everything, that you aren't everything, that you need others that, um, so I, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Um, and I think one of the things that helps is, is just life experience, right? Um, You've seen, you, you remember back to what you thought at one time and you think about what you think now and how that changed for you. And you think, wow, well, that can be true just of myself if, if I can go through these changes um, in my own thought patterns. Um, you know, I try to apply that to what you're hearing from others as well. So... Yeah, um, 
I think it's just attitude is the biggest part, opening yourself up to others um, you know, in a way that shows respect and love and dignity for them, for the other, um, and knowing that they too are seeking. Um, it's hard to, it's, it's easy to say, sometimes it's very hard to do. <laughs> yes. But some people are not giving back what you're trying to put out there into the world. <laughs> sometimes um, what's coming at you is very um, negative, very attack oriented. Um, and if they're not in that same mindset, um, it can be really hard to be gracious to someone who's not being gracious to you. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, all we can do is try. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Anyone else? Um, I'll ask two closing questions then. Um, here's the first. Um, when we're reading the Bible and we're, you know, I've often seen you at work and like you will, like you'll pray beforehand, before you read. If that's a new practice for somebody, like what do you pray? Like what are the, what kinds of prayers might you pray before you read scripture? Um, for me, um, the prayer that I'm praying before I read scripture is for um, the Holy Spirit to be active within me because I think the Holy Spirit is is our best interpreter, our best teacher. Um, um, one of the practices that really helped me to develop that understanding um, is is spiritual reading of Scripture. The ancient the ancient words, the Latin words of were lectio divina. But to um, in this, you're not studying the Scripture at all. You're meditating on it, right? You're reading the words, you're seeing what is being lifted up off the page, what, what's resonating with you. And that's not something you can do without the Holy Spirit. Mm. Um, you, you need the Spirit to engage that imagine, imagination for you when you're doing that. Um, and, but even when you're, when you're seeking answers to questions, you know, you know, Engaging the Holy Spirit first means that I don't just have to rely on me. <laughs> that I that there's that God is with me in the reading. Um, I absolutely love this little sermon um, that it, they turned it into a little mini book that talks about um, my heart, Christ's home. Have you have you ever heard of that? So uh, what it does is is it talk it's talking about inviting. Christ into every part of your life, but it's using your heart and, and a home as a metaphor. Um, but it's talking about like when you, when you're getting ready to go out for the night and Jesus is there with his jacket on, like ready to go with you, are you going to invite him along, you know, or do you let him open the closet over there with the stuff you haven't been dealing with or that you don't want anybody to know? It talks about, you know, the study where you do your work. Is he part of that? Um, and I think in that way, in that kind of idea, I think when I pray that prayer, I imagine, you know, sitting up to the table and Jesus sitting up next to me, you know, and reading the scriptures with me. That's a beautiful image. Okay, here's my last question. And we'll um, 
be thankful for you and your time and um, we'll pray for you before you go. Um, but what is, uh, this wasn't on the sheet, sorry. <laughs> What's God teaching you right now or what are you relearning right now, whether it's about the Bible or your lived faith? Um, what is God teaching you right now? The I'm a really, if you haven't noticed, I'm a really good talker. <laughs> I, I'm, I can always think of something to say, but I think what God has been teaching me most recently is the value of silence, the, um, uh, the art of listening, um, not only in conversations, but in prayer. Um, this um, reflection and, and more contemplation um, of the word and um, just presence, God's presence in my life. Um, and I don't, yeah, that's, that's what I'm learning right now. One of my um, favorite things that has happened at our family gatherings, which, you know, everyone's family gatherings are a little different. There's some, there's some fun and some messy, but um, <laughs> for us, one of my favorite things is when most people go to bed and then Tammy and often, you know, your mom or someone will stay up and we'll come to a table and we'll talk. And um, that's something that I really cherish about our relationship is that we've always been able to, you know, talk with one another all the time. And so it was a real treat for you to you know, drive two hours and do that with some of my favorite people here and um, online and, and others. So I want to just thank you for your, your time yeah. with this. And uh, we'll close in prayer. Holy and gracious God, we believe that you are uh, speaking to us through one another, through uh, your holy scripture. Uh, God, we trust that we need one another to make sense of this life and most of all, God, we need you. We need to be reminded of our need for you and your presence in our lives. Thank you for each person in this room, on this call, or those who might listen later. Thank you for the ways that um, you have been at work in their lives, even when they thought maybe it was something else. God, I thank you for Tammy, for the ways that you have blessed her and blessed others through her. Lord, uh, send us out. Um, to be your hands and feet in the world, to be people um, of the book, but also, God, people who um, act upon what we have learned. People who are gracious, merciful, and seeking justice. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Baptist Church of Westchester podcast. If you have questions, want to connect, or looking for ways to support God's work through our church, visit bcwc.org.